I was working for this private office, and so I w wouldn't like meet people like while I was doing the work. But it was your basic janitorial. So I was, you know, uh, vacuum cleaning and mopping floors, taking out the trash. I was cleaning the bathrooms. <clears throat> now it's an interesting thing what seminarians would do. Do you believe this? As a seminarian, I would actually read the Bible. And so this concept of um, the Christian worker going to work and working for Jesus as the ultimate boss, that was not a foreign concept to me. And so I was thinking, okay, I'm going to work for the glory of God. So on that first day, I vacuum cleaned for the glory of God. And I, I, I mopped floors for the glory of God. And then it came to cleaning the bathrooms. And that's where there was this problem. Because the bathroom stank. Yes, it was, I don't know who was the janitor before I was the janitor. It was, it reeked of urine. And I think the reason why is because if you looked at the sides of the, the, the there was urine cakes. I'm not kidding you, there was cakes of urine. And the seat was falling off where the cakes of urine were, okay? So I was faced with this question which is, could it be possible that God was calling me to clean this bathroom to the glory of God? Well, I thought about that, and then I came to this conclusion. I went up to that bathroom, and I blessed it with the sign of the cross, and I moved on. No, I'm joking. I, <clears throat> I got down on my knees. I wiped off those urine cakes. I took that seat, I found the screws. My hands were soiled in the process, but I screwed on that seat cover and I cleaned that bathroom unto the glory of God. Woo! Okay. And that's kind of where we're going today. That's where we're going today. Um, so just imagine we're going through the book of Ephesians and like Paul is like our bus driver. And he's going to take you through every stop of this city. And the idea is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message about God's son dying on a cross, if you see that message and you take that in, it changes everything about your life. And so you imagine, you know, Paul's like the, the, the bus driver, and he's taking us through every stop of life, just saying, yeah, it changes this, it changes that, yeah, it changes this. It changes your marriage. If you're married, the gospel should really be changing your marriage. If you're a parent, the gospel should really be changing the way that you... If you have um, parents who are still alive, oh my gosh, the gospel would have you honoring the, every area of life, and then today we come to work, your work. You guys probably spend 40 hours at least. Does the gospel transform this area of life? This life which takes up one-fourth of your, your, your life? Absolutely. Yes, it does. Let's go. Verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. All right, Paul is speaking to um, servants and masters, and this kind of raises many questions the modern person, especially if you're reading in your Bible in the NIV translation, because this passage has been abused historically 
the whole message is not going to be about this, but I just want to just explain. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the same as New World African slavery. Slavery in Paul's time, it was not race-based. It was seldom lifelong. And so really what Paul is talking about here is something more like indentured uh, servitude. So that's why I think the ESV translation is more accurate, which says bond servant. Okay, what's the modern day equivalent of bond servant? Okay, you don't call yourselves bond servants, but you call yourselves employees, right? Now, who is your earthly master? You don't call that person earthly master, but you call this person your your boss. Okay, so now employees, employees, Obey your earthly boss, okay? Obey your earthly boss. Now look at the next uh, four words. Interesting, very interesting. With fear and trembling, okay? With fear. Now, when I say those words, fear and trembling, what do you think about? I think of that passage in Philippians chapter one that says, "Work work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, salvation, heaven and hell, very weighty. Okay, I'm going to work that out with salvation, but work? Okay, put it this way. When I think of fear and trembling, I think of Moses. Moses is standing before the burning bush, which is the, the, the representation of God. And, and, and God speaks to the burning bush and says, Moses, this is sacred ground. Take off your sandals. Fear and trembling. Now, can you imagine going to work on Monday And as you're going to work, you step foot in your office, you step foot in your school, and you're thinking, this is a place of fear and trembling. This is a place of sacred ground. Can you imagine that? And a lot of you are like, no, I cannot imagine that. And maybe it's because you're like me. Now, for me, I like to compartmentalize my life. You know me, you know I like to speak in categories. I like to put people and things and time in categories. You know I think like that, right? And so in my own life, I have simplistic categories. And so there is like sacred, and there is like secular, okay? Sacred time and activity is stuff I do, and God's there. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm feeling close to God in that time and that activity. And secular time is like the stuff that it's almost like it's God draining, like, like it's separate from God. It's almost like God's not around in my secular time, right? And so right, right now, like morning service, this is what? This is, you know, sacred time, right? But then, on, you know, Monday morning when I go to work, that's like, that's like secular time. But, but before I go to work, like for a pastor, I will spend some time doing my devotions. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. And that's, that's sacred time. But then right after that, I'm doing emails. I'm calling people on the phone. I'm meeting with people. And that's secular time. Now imagine, there, just with this passage, Paul's like saying, you guys, there's no such thing as secular time. Right, in this passage, you imagine Paul saying, your work is this incredible opportunity to experience God. Like, God's going to break out from this time and he's going to be all over this time. Put it this way. Maybe what we're talking about here is bringing God to work. Anyone have a problem with me saying that? I have a problem with me saying that, all right? You don't bring God to work. You don't bring God to anywhere, okay? 
but it's rather going to your work and opening your eyes to the God who's already there. And during these next two weeks, that's what we want to do. We want you to discover God at work, okay? Discover God at work with fear and trembling. Verse 5, again, okay, bond servants, employees, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with the sincere heart, we're going to talk about sincere heart later, as you would Christ. Now, can you repeat that with me? As you would Christ. I think this is the main idea of this whole passage. As you would Christ. Treat them, obey them, respect them as you would Christ. Do you respect Christ? Yes. Then out of that deep respect and obedience for Christ, respect and obey your boss. So if you are a Christian, then you have a new boss. Well, you have an ultimate boss. Yes, you have an earthly boss, but behind that boss is the heavenly boss. And so you don't just work for the earthly boss, but you work ultimately for the heavenly boss, the boss who's behind the boss, and your respect and obedience to the heavenly boss is reflected by your respect and obedience to your earthly boss. So this leads us with this question, and I want each of you to really take this question seriously, okay? The main idea of this message is this question. Here it is. If you were working For Jesus Christ as your ultimate boss, how would that change the way you work? Let me repeat repeat myself. If you're working for the boss behind the boss, and Monday morning you go to work working for Jesus Christ, how how would it be different? What would change? Would something change? I'm assuming the gospel transforms everything like work. So if Jesus is your boss, something would change. What would change? I want each of you to take that question seriously and ask yourself, what would change? What would change? What would be different? Now, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to read the entire passage. And I want you guys to be thinking, okay, that's a, that's a really good question. What would change? Now, Paul is actually giving us some direction in the change. So in this passage, you're going to be looking for that direction. Okay, let's, let's read the, uh, the, the, this, this scripture. Okay, I'll take it from the top. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. I think we're going to stop at verse 8 for today. Okay, so what's in there? All right, well, here's how it would change. Let me just break it down for you. There's three areas that I have found in this text where your work, not your work, but how you engage your work, where you as a worker would change. Three things. Number one, your heart would change. Number two, your code would change. Number three, your reward would change. Let me repeat that. Number one is your heart. Number two is your code. Number three is your reward. Okay, let's unpack this. Number one, your heart. Your heart would change. What do I mean by that? Verse five, obey who? Your earthly master, your boss, with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means respect your boss. Respect your boss. You go, but you don't know how incompetent my boss is. Right? Okay, fair enough. Do you think Jesus Christ is incompetent? No. Okay, do you respect Jesus? Of course I do. Okay, out of your deep respect for Jesus, 
respect your earthly boss. In other words, a reflection of your great respect for Jesus is reflected by how you're respecting even your undeserving boss. So respect your boss. That's number one. That's how the gospel is changing the heart. Okay, uh, second thing. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Don't you like that word eye service? ESV has eye service. NIV has something different, but I like that eye service. What does that remind you of? Don't you pay or give what? Lip service, right? Lip service? You guys have heard of lip service. What does lip service mean? It means I'm saying stuff that they want to hear, but I don't really mean it. My heart's not really in it, okay? Now, what does eye service mean? I said, I'm doing work, but my heart's not really in it. I'm really doing it because the boss is looking at me, and I want to do a good job when the boss is looking at me. But when he's not looking at me, I don't work that hard. Or when the boss is calling in, you know, a sick day, I'm taking it easy, right? Right? That's eye service. Now, here's the thing. If you work for the ultimate boss, is he only seeing you when his eye is upon you? No, he's always seeing you. (laughs) And so you want to do good work all the time, right? Your heart would change. You're really engaged. You're in the work. Okay, verse 5. How else would it change? Your heart would change. How would your heart change? With a sincere heart. With a sincere heart. What does that mean? Throughout Ephesians, we see this concern, not just for what you are doing, the outward behavior, but we're also seeing this great concern for what's in the heart. So in other words, if I am going to work for my boss, engage my work with a sincere heart, I'm going to put all of my heart into it. Not just the best of my skill and ability, but the best of my motivation and my attitude. My attitude's going to be there. So not only will I do the right things, but I'll do it with the right spirit. Okay, uh, there was one time I was talking to this young person in a church, and this young person in a church was failing in a class. His parents asked me to speak to him, so I did. And guess what p- passage I, I, I was talking to him about? I was talking about this passage. So I said, listen, you're a student, right? Yeah, I'm a student, okay. Do you ever feel like um, sometimes at, at like, your school you're a slave? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, easy connection, right? Okay, well, actually, in the NIV, it says slave. So this must be talking to you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now, if you were a slave at your school, then who would be your slave master, your slave driver? He goes, oh, that would be my teacher. Okay. Earthly master is now teacher. So now this passage is talking to you as a student, okay? All right, so students, obey, listen to your teacher, right? Fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would unto the Lord. Okay, so pretend that Jesus Christ were your ultimate teacher. He's, he's in front of the class. He's teaching you. Now, how would you engage your studies? Well, I guess I would uh, try harder. yeah. Right? But what also does it mean? Could it possibly mean, if Jesus Christ were your teacher, could it possibly mean that you engage your studies not just to get the A, but to embrace the joy of learning? That your full curiosity will be employed in your studies and you will ask questions, not because it's going to be on the exam, but just because you are curious and you're thirsting for knowledge so deep. Whoa. I, I got to tell you, um, I don't know if you guys know my story, but I was in seminary. I was in the pastor track, obviously, and then I lost my voice for a year. And during that time when I lost my voice, I was thinking of other alternatives because I'm thinking, I'm going to be much of a preacher. So you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be a dentist. You know why? Because they make a lot of money, they have flexible hours, and I can become a missionary. So I'm going to be a Dentist. Now, here's the thing. I was a psych major, so I took zero science classes. You know why? Because they weren't required. 
So I took zero science classes. But then when I realized that I wanted to be a dentist, they said, oh, you've got to take all these science classes. So I went to a state college, and I enrolled in inorganic chemistry. I was sitting there in the seats. And I was dazzled by the periodic table. I am not kidding you, you know, because I don't know what I was doing in college. I don't know what I was in high school. I know the periodic table was there, but I didn't see the order and the beauty and the mystery and the just, you know, you can put them in rows and columns and you can, you can, you can assign it by their pro and it all fits on this table. I was, I was almost like I was in a worship service. Like, wow, this is amazing. You know, like I go in and get up and like give an offering, you know, around. This is, this is so cool. No, I, I'm not kidding you. I'm exaggerating a little bit. I really was amazed by the glory and the intellect and the creativity of our God. This was in science class. And that's, I didn't even take organic chem, you know. That was inorganic chem, just the periodic table. Jesus Christ is your ultimate teacher. Does that change things? Oh yeah, it changes things. Not only are you a student who gets the A, but you enjoy learning because Christ is your ultimate teacher. It changes the heart. It changes the heart. Now it also changes your code. Code? Code. Now I want you to think about this. In your company, there is a written or an unwritten code. What's that code? If you don't know it, then it's probably unwritten, but there is a code. What's a code? A code is a system of rules and principles that people live by. The code of the CEO and the boss is probably the code of the company. I was talking to one working professional in our church and he was saying that he uh, gathered together with the partners of his firm and they all recognized that they lived by a different code. They all had a different code for working. And they identified one of the partners that's having the code as success at all costs. That's one code. Is that your company's code? Here's the thing. When you are a Christian worker, you work for an ultimate boss who's Jesus Christ, your code is now the God code. (laughs) It may very well be that your God code is going to conflict and be very different from the company code. It's not success at all costs. Now, let me me read this. If you're looking, you will see that Paul's talking about a certain God code that Christian workers work by. Look at this text. Let's read it. Okay? But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Can you say will of God? Okay, doing the will of God. Okay? So that's a certain code. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? It's like the doing the will of God code, right? It's different from how your company might function. But as a worker, you are doing the will of God in your code. How you get things done, the system of rules and principles is different. Okay, let's keep on going. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Rendering service with a good will. Can you say rendering service? Can you say good will? Okay, that's part of your new code, your Christian code. You're rendering, you are serving. And not only you're serving, but you're serving with a good will. Good will. I want what is best for my boss. I want what is best for flourishing and success for my uh, peers. I want what is best for thriving and flourishing for my customers. Good will. I want what's best for them ultimately in Christ, but what's best for them for thriving. I have good will towards all these different people. 
because that's how Christ would have me work. That is my code. <clears throat> okay, this is what I did in preparation for this, um, this study. I'm sorry, it wasn't a very large swath of people, but I've asked three people in our church. Okay, if you abide by the God code and Jesus were your ultimate boss, how would things change? How would things be different? Okay, first person I interviewed was an engineering consultant. He kind of works with his hands. Uh, engineering consultant, so he tracks his numbers. He would say, my God code is this. No fudging the numbers. It was simple as that. Because his employers don't really know exactly how much time he spends down there fixing you know, the, those, the, the, the engine. They don't know. And they don't know the extent of what he does. So his God code is, I will not fudge the numbers. Even if it's close to that number, I will not fudge. I will not round it out. I will not fudge the numbers. I asked another person, I, um, Bruce, uh, who manages employees, okay? And I said, what's the God code for you? And how, how has that changed things in your workplace? And this is what he said to me, because Bruce manages like six or seven employees. And he said to me, the God code for me is I treat my employees as people, not just as resources for the company. I treat them as people. I ask them how their families are doing. I show care beyond what they can do for me. Uh, I show them compassion and flexibility for life situations and deadlines, and when we disagree, I, I treat them with respect and courtesy. Now, Bruce has been doing this and really you know, abiding by this God code, which is actually quite different from the company code, but it's his God code and how he treats his employees. And so there was one time they wanted to do this reorg, and so that means that his current team would be assigned a different boss, and they were not happy. They were not happy because they were thriving under Bruce's leadership, and they did not want them to be disturbed because he had this God code. He was treating them like Jesus would treat them. The last person I interviewed works in the healthcare profession, and, and he said to me, one place, inevitably, mis- unmistakably, it would mean for me in my God code, it would mean I would have to just be more patient. Because I look at Jesus in the Gospels and the way he's caring for people holistically, you know, he's not just fixing their physical, but he's gentle. He's engaging them. He's respecting them. He's nurturing them. He said, I just have to be more patient. Uh, he, said, he said to me that, you know, he talks to people and he'll tell them the three the same thing three times over, and then the fourth time they maybe get it, and it just means I have to slow down, be more nurturing, be more gentle, be more patient, just kind of, okay, let me explain it to you again. Why? Because I operate by the God code. That's how Jesus, my ultimate boss, would have me do it. Okay, three things change. The heart changes, your code changes, and lastly, your reward changes. Now look, reward, verse eight. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is slave or free. This he'll receive back from the Lord. This he'll receive back from, from the Lord, from the Lord. Now, I just imagine at this point, Paul is just being very logical, very practical, and he realizes, I'm asking you for a lot. Christian workers, I'm asking you for a lot. I'm asking to, you to deeply respect your boss, even though you feel like he doesn't or she doesn't deserve it. I'm asking you not just to do excellently, but to really embrace it with your heart, and not just when, you're bo- when it counts, quote-unquote, but all the time, because Jesus Christ, ultimately your boss, is watching you all the time. Now, you imagine the Christian worker going and say, look, that is a lot. You're asking for a lot. Okay, that's 40 hours a week. And Paul says, yeah, and I realize that if the reward is just what the earthly master is giving you, you're probably not motivated to do it, maybe. 
You know, if it's just the corner office or the promotion or just the praise in front of your peers, maybe that's not enough to really get you to do what Paul's asking you to do. So Paul's like saying, look, the heavenly reward. Don't go for what the earthly master is giving you because that will be limited and then your, your heart will be limited in how you engage your work, but you gotta really go for it because of your heavenly reward. You imagine Paul going, have you imagine the heavenly reward? What Jesus gives us and rewards us when he comes back. And that reward is going to last forever. And he's going to look at your whole life, and certainly part of your life is how you worked and how you engaged your work. And he's going to give you a reward appropriately, and that is going to last forever and ever. And have you thought about how generous Jesus is? This is the illustration of this, and I've probably given this before, but I think it's the best illustration that I have on this, so let's think this through. Let's say after church, I asked um, Gilbert if he would actually wash my car. I have a Honda Odyssey, it's in the back. It's gathering dust. It's really dusty. You know I'm a hardworking pastor. I don't have time for that sort of stuff. Gilbert, would you please wash my car for me? Would you do it? For how much? Okay, good question. He says, for how much? I will pay you a minimum wage. Minimum wage is what? $8 an hour. I'll pay you $8 an hour. It's not going to take a full hour, but I'm going to give you the full eight anyways, okay? Okay, now let's say Gilbert says, okay, I'll do it. He's a hardworking pastor. He's a wonderful man. I'll do it. So he, gets, he goes to the closet, he gets the bucket, he gets the sponge, he gets the soap, he, he goes outside to the parking lot, and he's doing my car. Now, how is he doing my car? He's doing, he's thinking, okay, I'm not even gonna think about the $8. I, I, lo- I love it, Pastor Andrew, you're gonna be, you know, he's washing it, he's saying hello to people, okay, he's doing it, right? Okay, now, let's say I go into to Gilbert, in the middle of him doing this, say, Gilbert, I changed my mind, I changed my mind. I'm actually gonna give you this car after you finish uh, uh, washing it. It's a Honda Odyssey. It fits, you know, seven people. It's a great car, we love it. It's yours, you know, because I make a lot of money, so I'm cool, I'm, I'm great, you know, it's yours, it's all yours. Now, how would Gilbert engage the work? Suddenly he was like, oh, okay, and now he's like, woohoo, right? Like he's, he's singing, you know, he's humming, right? Like he, he's smiling, he's full of energy. Why? Because he's got his, he's gonna get the car. <laughs> he has his eyes on the eternal reward. Now, if you're just looking at the $8 per hour, you're going to be, you know, kind of motivated, kind of. But if you, look, if you know the reward of Jesus Christ when he comes for eternity, generosity, have you thought about that? Then that's going to change the way you work. But that's only if you're working for Jesus Christ as your ultimate. If you're working for your earthly boss, you probably won't be that kind of motivated, uh, that, that, that motivated. But if you're working for the heavenly boss who gives the heavenly reward that lasts forever, then as the scripture says, whatever good you do, you will receive back from the Lord. Wow. Fix your eyes on that reward. Don't go for the minimum wage. Don't go for what the earthly boss can give you because that's very limited. But you got to have your eyes on the heavenly reward. Okay, so how does the gospel change the way we work? It changes the heart. It changes your code. It changes your reward. Actually, it does change everything. But there's one last thing that I would mention, and this is not necessarily in the text, but it, oh man, it's, so, it's all over Ephesians. So, so it's very fair for me to say this. <clears throat> Why should you engage work as if Jesus Christ were employer? Why do this? Why would you want to go through the trouble of doing this? Here's one final reason. One final reason is that if Jesus is your ultimate boss 
and Jesus has infinite resources, then you are now tapping into infinite resources. Ever get anxious about your work? Well, if Jesus is your ultimate boss and he's helping you, why would you be anxious? He's got it all under control. Ever feel like you can't get your, your, your arms around your work? Ever have trouble sleeping at night because there's an unfinished project and you don't know about your performance and you're going to get evaluated and your identity is all wrapped up in your work? If Jesus Christ is your ultimate boss, then he's got you covered. You don't need to be anxious. You are leaning into the infinite boss with unlimited resources. I'll give you one example of this, okay? You guys have heard of the name George Washington Carver. He grew up in a poor slave family. He was very disadvantaged. He was actually the first in his family to go to college. Now, the college that he enrolled in accepted him, but then when they found out he was black, they basically rejected him. So he enrolled in another college, and he finally was able to um, graduate from there. He went to Tuskegee Institute. He was a botanist, an agricultural mind. He was an artist. He was a Bible teacher. Now, the story unfolds with George Washington Carver in the woods. One morning, he's having his devotions with God. And he would sit on the stump and just meet with God. And he tells this story. One morning, he said, okay, God, can you tell me how you made the universe? Now, you have to understand his mind. He was actually asking the question, and he was expecting God to say something. It, it, was, it was that kind of childlike simplicity. And God did say something. And God said, George, I can't tell you how I made the universe. Your brain is not big enough to hold all that. So he goes, okay. Can you tell me how you made a man? God says, I can't tell you how I made a man. Your brain couldn't contain it if I told you how I made a man. It, out of frustration, he goes, can you just tell me how you made a peanut? Now, at that time, the peanut was the goober pea, okay? Cotton was king, peanut was nothing, it was a joke, okay? George Washington Carver went into something like, as he reports it, a 48-hour trance. He said something came over him. He did not understand. He left the woods. He went to his laboratory. He didn't eat or sleep for two days straight. And in his very makeshift laboratory in Tuskegee Institute, it became this place of fear and trembling. For two days, God was, through the power of God, he was unlocking the secret of the peanut. And during his lifetime, he had 320 individual patents on products that are made just by peanuts. And then tragedy struck, and the cotton crop was wiped out. And the whole economy was going down the tubes, but Carter stepped up and says, I have this thing, it's called a peanut. And you can do a lot of things with peanuts. You can make paint, you can make any kind of food product, milk out of peanuts, you can do incredible things with peanuts. And actually, Congress came down, and he prepared them a meal. They were very satisfied with the meal. He said, this meal was made entirely of peanuts. A tariff was passed, an economy was saved because the cotton crop was wiped out and the whole economy was taken. An economy was saved through the peanuts because one guy dared to see his work as an opportunity to experience God. There was one guy who said, you know, I'm not going to divide my life into secular and sacred. God is in everything. There was one guy who said, I'm going to be working for Christ, and if I work for Christ, that changes everything. Even the very resources I have are from him.
I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come forward. You know, during this series, we really are expecting praying for life change. This is like your laboratory. This is like your clinic time to really think through all the areas of life and how does the gospel really change that area. Marriage, we talked about that. Parenting, yes. What about work? I'd like you all to stand up, please. Now, what we want you to do is we want you to imagine. Employ divine imagination, if you will. And I asked Gordon if he would just play some music in the background. And what I want you to do right now is just imagine yourself on Monday morning. I don't know where your work is. Maybe your office is at school. Maybe your office is at the office. Maybe your office is at home. Where is that place of work? Now, I want you, in your mind, you can close your eyes. You're standing up. I want you to think about Monday morning. Maybe it starts on Monday morning. For me, it starts on Tuesday morning. Maybe work starts for you at the beginning of the week on Monday morning. I want you to see that place that you call work. Maybe it's from home. I don't know. But just imagine that place. Now imagine you in that place. Imagine you Monday morning walking into that place. And I want you right now in your mind just to see your boss. Maybe it's a man, maybe it's a woman, maybe they have chiseled features, maybe I don't know what ethnicity they are, but just imagine the face of your boss. And underneath that face is their name, your boss right there. Maybe you're the boss. There's your face. Okay. Now I want you to peer behind the boss the earthly master, the earthly boss, and I want you to see Jesus Christ behind that person. Do you respect Jesus? Yes. Do you obey Jesus? Yes. Out of your respect for Jesus, you work now for that earthly boss. Now here's the question. Here's the question that you can talk to God about, and I ask you, how is work going to change working for the boss behind the boss. What's going to be different? My heart, my code, my reward. What what would be different? I bet you something's going to change. What's going to change? And you can ask God, okay, okay, boss behind the boss, what do you want to see change if I'm really working for you? Maybe for some of us, it's actually forgiving the earthly boss. Maybe for some of us, actually respecting that earthly boss. Even though this person is, is um, fallible, even maybe this person has hurt you or wronged you. How would your work change? I really want you to think about that if you're working for the boss behind the boss. Okay, I think some of you do not see your work as a place to meet with God. You're like, okay, I can see church, you know, and maybe my quiet time, but work, it's just so busy. It takes life out of me. I don't see God in there. And, and, and the word for you is God is there in your work. Would you invite him into your work? Would you see your work as sacred space, fear and trembling space because God's there? Some of you are so competent You feel like, I don't need to ask God for help in my work. I can just do it by myself. And my word for you is just, have you thought about the infinite resources of God? Do you know that, that with him as your boss, that means you can tap into those resources? Maybe you're gonna change your mind and say, you know, I am going to be asking God for help a lot more often. And work will be a place where he comes through. 
because I definitely have needs and, and deadlines are not met and sometimes I feel like I'm out of my element and if, if I leaned on God, I could totally see a difference. I want him to come through. I could see that. Just keep God, asking God that question. What do you want changed? What do you want changed? Okay, boss, behind the boss, what do you want changed? Okay, I want to get real practical right now. What I want you to do is take your bulletin and I want you to take that office prayer. It's, 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 it's a half sheet in your bulletin. And what I want you to do is, is just read that first paragraph of that, of that um, prayer. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. It goes like this. There's three paragraphs. This is the first paragraph. Lord Jesus, as I enter this workplace, I bring your presence with me. I speak your presence, your grace, your mercy, and your perfect order into this office. I acknowledge your lordship over all that will be spoken, thought, decided, and done within these walls. You are my ultimate boss, and I work for you. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to take this office prayer. You can read the rest of it if you want. I want you to fold it, and I want you to put it in your wallet. I want you to put it in your wallet. I want you to put it in your purse. I want you to put it in a place where you can access it on Monday, okay? That's the first thing for you because, because it would be a real waste if you heard this message, went into Monday morning, and did nothing about it. Oh, come on. Infinite resources you can tap into. Intimacy with God at work. Why would you say no to that? Make the bridge. Okay, here's the second thing I would like you to do. Many of you have uh, iPhones. I'd like you to take out your iPhone or maybe you go buy a calendar. I want you to take out that iPhone because I, I, I know this now that I have one. And um, whenever that moment is that you would step into work, like maybe it's for me on Mon- uh, Tuesday, it's actually at 8.30. I want you to schedule in your iPhone a reminder that you are working for Jesus Christ. Just a reminder so that when you go to work, it's gonna go off, you're gonna see the iPhone, then you're gonna take out this prayer and you're gonna be reminded that you're working for Jesus, that Jesus is here in your workplace, that he is your boss, that he is engaged and you're gonna engage him, okay? So two practical reminders. One is this office prayer written down that you can access your back pocket, your wallet, your, your purse. Secondly, your iPhone is going to go off or you've written on your scheduler that at whatever time on Monday morning, you're going to do a quick prayer. You're going to do a quick reality check. God is here in my work. I'm not going to secularize my work. God is here. God has this great invitation for me to experience him at my work. God is out of the box. The gospel is transforming every part of my life. This is one-fourth of my life. May the lordship of Jesus be recognized unto his glory. This song called Everything. God in my living, there in my breathing, God in my waking, God in my sleeping. God in my resting, and boom, there it is. There in my working. God in my thinking. God in my speaking. You are my everything. Be my everything. Be my everything. Let's make this our prayer.